If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to, to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles or don't know where that is, that's okay. The words will be projected on the screens. Um, if you've been attending with us, you know that we've been uh, preaching through the book of Romans. And on this Easter Sunday, we're uh, taking a, a break from that and looking at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. As you turn there, let me just set this up a little bit uh, for you. Uh, so Paul is writing to the Christians at Corinth, and, and Corinth is uh, heavily influenced by Greek culture and philosophy. And uh, so one of the prominent Greek uh, teachings and, and thoughts of the day was a dualism that taught that the, the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. And, and so they taught that death was sort of the release of the soul from the imprisonment of the body. And some of the, the Christians at Corinth are, are buying into this Greek philosophy and Greek thought, and they are teaching that there is then no resurrection from the dead. And Paul writes this section of his letter to uh, set them straight and to show them really the, the absurdity of, of believing and, and professing to believe in a, and follow a, a Christ that has not been raised. And so that's what we'll be looking at this morning as well. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. And I invite you to bow as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word this morning. Lord Jesus, how good it is to gather in Your presence and to worship You. Lord, how good it is to live in the hope of the empty tomb. I pray now, O oh Lord, that you would impress upon us and plant deep within us a, perhaps a renewed or perhaps for the first time, a deep and living hope that comes through your resurrection from the dead. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. May the truths of your word be planted deep in us this morning, that they may bear fruit of abundant change and transformation, fruit of a deep and abiding and living hope. That would be for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. First Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. Paul says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in, raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You may be seated. In a letter to the, uh, the late 19th century, uh, in a letter to his brother from the late 19th century agnostic Robert Ingersoll, he uh, reflects on, on, uh, on his life, and, and this is what he wrote. He said, I feel that we have passed the crown of the hill, and now and then I catch a glimpse of the great wall where the road ends. In youth, we woo the future and clasp her like a bride. In age, we denounce her as a fair and beautiful liar and wonder at the ease with which we were duped, pursuing that which fades, that which eludes, gazing at that which fades, hoping for the impossible, regretting what is, and fearing that which must be, and knowing that whatever we hold on to cannot last. That letter paints a, a picture of life as, as a fleeting shadow of, of emptiness and despair. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul paints a similar picture. He invites us to imagine a world in which Christ has not been raised. And, and I want us this morning for a while, I want us to, to, to linger and to gaze at that picture for a little while. I want us to feel the weight of his words that we may see with renewed wonder and awe the glory of his resurrection. And so Paul in these verses lays out for us six things that are true if Christ has not been raised. Really technically, if you want to be technical about it, I think five things plus one summary conclusion. Things that are true if Christ has not been raised. And so he begins by saying first that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And the word useless is a translation of the Greek word kenos, which, which means empty or, or nothing. If Christ has not been raised, then Paul says, then our preaching is, is utterly ineffective. It accomplishes nothing. The gospel message we proclaim is just an empty message. There's no reason to gather Sunday after Sunday. There's no basis for worship. There's no content to our evangelism. We, we, you know, we, we've, we've seen throughout our study of Romans uh, that the, the book is, is all about the power of the gospel, right? That's, that's the, the title of our sermon series. That's the overarching theme of the whole book. The whole book is about the power of the gospel. But the whole book of Romans is a sham if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then we have nothing to preach about but the fading words of the decomposing corpse of a backwoods rabbi. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is just a hollow shell of words with no substance. It is empty and effective. It accomplishes nothing. I remember... Uh, a number of years ago when Ethan was a boy and he got a, a, a toy rocket for Christmas one year. And the, the box in which the rocket was uh, said that this rocket could launch up to 75 feet into the air. 
with nothing more than baking soda and vinegar. And so it was that one evening, not long after Christmas, we, we got the, the, the rocket out and we followed all the instructions and made all the preparations. And we went out into the, into the driveway, uh, you know, with, with these grand expectations of this rocket, you know, launching way up into the sky. And I shook the rocket like the instructions said, and I set it on its launching pad, and then we all quick stepped back, you know, you know, just uh, can't, you know, not waiting, not able to hold our excitement about this great, amazing rocket. And we, as we stood around, we watched as nothing happened. It, it, didn't, it didn't launch. It, it barely even moved. The thing just sort of tipped over on its launching pad and all the baking soda and vinegar spilled out onto the driveway. And that was that. And it was so disappointing because the rocket didn't do what it said it would do. That's what Paul says our preaching is like if Christ has not been raised. It is, it's useless and ineffective. It, it doesn't accomplish what it claims to accomplish. It, it doesn't produce any real hope or joy. It doesn't do any good. It, it's you know, like a rocket that doesn't launch. Our preaching is useless, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised. And Paul goes on to say that if Christ has not been raised, then our testimony is false. He, he says more than that, we, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. That God raised Christ from the dead is, is central to the Christian witness. It, you know, everything that, that we say and proclaim and preach about it revolves around that central truth. We, we, we see that, that phrase again and again throughout the Gospels, throughout the book of Acts, throughout the, the Paul's letters that God raised Christ from the dead again and again. We see it in Acts chapter 2 where the apostle Peter spoke to the God-fearing Jews who were gathered on the day of Pentecost and he said to them, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by, by miracles and wonders and signs and you put him to death along with the help of wicked men by nailing him to the cross. But... But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, that, that is the, the Christian testimony that God raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then we are exposed as liars. We, we are false witnesses. And not just false witnesses about fellow humans, which in itself is, is bad enough, but false witnesses about God. For we have said something about the almighty God of the universe that is not true if Christ has not been raised. And so our testimony is a lie, and our worship is a lie, and our evangelism is a lie, and our Sunday school lessons and our Bible study curriculums and our, and our teachings are all a lie. We bear false witness about God if Christ has not been raised. Paul goes on to talk about our faith, and he says that in verse 17, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And the word futile is a translation of the Greek word matthios, which, which has the basic sense of, of pointlessness or, or vanity. The Heidelberg Catechism, I think, helpfully describes or defines what, faith, what true faith is. And it says that true faith is not only 
a knowledge and a conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. So there's, there's that intellectual, there's that mind, there's that, that comprehension, that understanding aspect of faith, a, a, a belief and understanding that everything God reveals in his word is true. But it's more than that. Faith is more than just an intellectual understanding. It is also, the catechism says, a deep-rooted assurance that I have been saved and made right forever with God. So faith is that, that comprehension, but also that, that deep-rooted, that abiding, deep-seated assurance. But there is no assurance if Christ has not been raised. To use the language of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, our faith is just a, a meaningless mist, a, a, a shadow, a chasing after the wind if Christ has not been raised. And Paul says that our faith is futile, I think he may well have in mind the, the myth of Sisyphus. If you remember, of course, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, heavily influenced by Greek culture, and in ancient Greek mythology, Sisyphus was the king of Corinth. And if you remember the, the, the myth, the story, uh, as a punishment for his deceitfulness, uh, Sisyphus was consigned to an eternity of rolling an immense boulder up a hill. And the, the boulder was said to be enchanted by the god Zeus so that it always rolled back down the hill before Sisyphus could make it to the top. And this was his fate for all of eternity, engaging over and over and over in this utterly futile exercise, this futile attempt to roll that boulder up the hill, knowing that it could never be accomplished. It was a pointless exercise in which it was impossible to achieve the goal. And Paul says that is what our faith is like if Christ has not been raised. It is a Sisyphean exercise. It, it accomplishes nothing. It has no benefit. It produces no assurance. It, our entire system of belief is, is utterly pointless if Christ has not been raised. And Paul just keeps piling on. He says at the end of verse 17 that if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins. You know, we, we, as we've been making our way through the book of Romans, throughout our study, uh, we've seen so clearly the, the problem of sin. And for, for chapters, for, you know, we felt for a while like, we just, like Paul was never going to get out of sin, right? Over and over and over, he keeps piling on about, about the problem of sin, how, how we are all under the, the power of sin, whether Jew or Gentile, all alike. There's no one righteous, Paul says. There's no one who does good, that we're, we're slaves to sin, that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again and again, over and over this, this problem of sin and then he keeps piling on. He says we are slaves to sin and we're doomed to a sentence of spiritual death and condemnation. And the message of the gospel in Romans is, you know, we, for, for you know, week after week when we were in those early chapters on sin, it was like, I mean, are we ever going to get to the good news? Is there ever any hope for this, this, this problem of sin? And finally, the message of, of the gospel in Romans is that in Christ, God has rescued us from that condemning power of sin. And when we finally got there, it was, it was such a sigh of, 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 of like this weight that was lifted. But that message hangs on the resurrection. 
Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 4 when he said that Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification? If Christ has not been raised, then there, there is no justification. Then all the, the beautiful stuff that Paul has been talking about, how we are made right with God in Romans, and none of that exists. None of that is possible if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then we are still in our sins. Still living under the shadow of its dominion. Still slaves still captives, still groping about in shackles and chains, still condemned to spiritual death. If Christ has not been raised, then there's nothing good about Good Friday. Because if Christ has not been raised, then it, it means that the sacrifice that Christ made at the cross was not met with the approval of the Father. And it didn't do what it was supposed to do. And his death on the cross was in vain. We are still in our sins, that, that despairing, hopeless, condemned condition if Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, then the dead in Christ are lost. He says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Christ has not been raised, then, then life is but a fleeting shadow, as Robert Ingersoll said, a, a brief gazing at that which fades. And, and a fearing of that which must be, the fear of death. Or in the words of Shakespeare's Macbeth, it is a walking shadow that, that struts and frets its hour upon the stage and then just fades away despairingly into nothingness. If Christ has not been raised, then death is the victor. And every funeral is just a hopeless ceremony of irretrievable loss. If Christ has not been raised, then, then the sting of death inflicts a gaping wound that has no answer. And terminal disease is truly terminal, and bedside tears are unredeemed, and, and caskets are lowered into the ground with a mocking finality, and, and graveside goodbyes sound the haunting refrain of defeat if Christ has not been raised. In his book, Lament for a Son, Nicholas Walterstorff records his raw pain over the sudden and tragic death of his 21-year-old son. And at one point in the book, he says, it is the neverness that is so painful. N never again to be here with us, never to sit with us at table, never to travel with us, never to laugh with us, never to cry with us, never to embrace us as he leaves for school. All the rest of our lives, he says, we must live without him. And only our death can stop the pain of his death. And I think his words capture so profoundly the, the, the pain of grief. But, but even as, as deep as, as that pain is that he expresses in his book, even as deep as that pain is, it is at least a pain that is bolstered by the hope of, of life after death through their common faith in Christ. And the neverness that he talks about is, is, as he understands it, a neverness that is true only in this life. And so there is at least hope when this life is over that the neverness will end. But if Christ has not been raised, then, then the neverness is, of death is truly never. And our lament is, is the lament of haunting despair. 
And we grieve as those who have no hope if Christ has not been raised. And so Paul brings his gloomy picture to really a a summary conclusion in verse 19. And he says that our condition is a pathetically pitiable condition if Christ has not been raised. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And the word pitied is, uh, has its origins in the Greek word for mercy. The word for mercy is the Greek heleos, and this is heleanos, and so it has its roots in that same word, but the, the word is, uh, this form of the word really refers to those who are deserving of sympathy because of their pathetic and miserable condition. And if Christ has not been raised, then, then Christians are, of all people, most to be pitied because we are, of all people, most pathetic and miserable. I mean, think of it this way. At least unbelievers, you know, if, if Christ has not been raised, at least unbelievers live for their enjoyment in this life. But what can, we, what can be said of believers? That if Christ has not been raised in believers, then we, we, we took up our cross and followed the, the suffering servant in this way of self-giving sacrifice for nothing. It would have been far better just to eat, drink, and, and be merry for tomorrow we die, as Paul says later on in this chapter. In, in the end, we will be exposed as those who are following a, a phantom Lord, duped by a charade, victims of a, of a cruel joke, like dogs at a gravesite, waiting in vain for their dead master to return. You've heard stories, and I've read a number of stories this past week. I was going to share a couple of them with you, but I don't have time. The image, I think, will suffice. But there's all these stories out there. You know how dogs are so loyal and so faithful. There are so many stories of dogs who, when their master has died, that the dogs go to their gravesite, and they just camp out there. They stay there. Some of them, some of them are there for years. There was one story about a dog who was at his master's gravesite for 12 years and was there every single day continually until he died, waiting for his master to return. Well, that's what we are like. Hoping in vain for our master to return. I mean, that, that picture of that dog is just a, a sad and, 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 and pathetic and pitiable picture. And Paul says that's what it's like for us. If we're waiting in vain for our master to return hoping for a life of eternal glory with our king, a glory that far outweighs our suffering. And all that we have hoped for will be shown to be a mist if Christ has not been raised. As one commentator put it, we are then but martyrs to an illusion, and anyone is better off than a Christian. And so we begin to see and feel what a miserably dark and deluded world we are in if Christ has not been raised. I mean, we, we are liars who, who, uh, who preach a useless gospel that procures a futile faith, leaving us all lost in sin as we follow our phantom Savior to our final defeat by a death that will usher us into everlasting hopelessness. 
We are indeed of all people most to be pitied if Christ has not been raised. But that's not the end of the story, is it? I mean, we, we don't gather on Easter to worship a delusion. We gather because Christ has indeed been raised. Against the, the gloomy backdrop of verses 12 to 19, we see the glorious hope of Easter in verse 20, where Paul says, and, and you know, of all the, you know, but Christ, of all the, the, the buts in Scripture that, that are so significant and carry so much weight, I don't know if there's any that carries more significance and weight than this one, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, the, the, the hope of the Christian life hangs on that statement. And that's why Paul said back in verse 3 of this chapter, what I, received, uh, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he truly died a real death, was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, the, the, the resurrection of Christ is a matter of first importance. It changes everything. The glorious truth of Easter is that the gloomy picture that Paul painted of a world in which Christ has not been raised is not true. That, that everything he said in those verses is, in fact, reversed. And so we can say, because Christ has been raised, our preaching is powerful. It's not useless and empty. It is powerful and effective. It means that the, the theme statement of the book of Romans is true. If you remember from Romans 1 verse 16, which is the theme of the whole letter, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel we proclaim is not an empty gospel. It is filled with power and substance. It, it changes lives and it, it bears fruit. It draws people from death to life. It is food for the hungry and water for the thirsty. It is health for the sick and, and, and life for the dying and hope for the hopeless. Our preaching is powerful and effective because Christ has been raised. And because Christ has been raised, Paul says, our testimony about God is not false, but it's true. And so we're not liars, but we are truth tellers. You know, the, the, the gospel we proclaim is true. The word of God is true. The miracles are true. And, and the God behind the message is true. And so we are guardians of the truth. You know, the world would like to say that we are deceived, clinging to some phantom, clinging to a delusion, while they know the truth. It's just the opposite. We are guardians of the truth in the midst of a world entrenched in lies. And so we can say with the Apostle John, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We have the truth and, and they don't. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We are guardians and bearers of the truth because Christ has been raised. And because Christ has been raised, our faith is not futile, but it is fruitful. 
It it grows us into spiritual maturity. It produces within us a deep joy and unshakable assurance. It bears fruit of abiding hope and, and a peace that transcends all understanding, as Paul says in Philippians. And it drives out fear and transforms us into the likeness of Christ. It does all of these things. It does things in us. It does what, what, it, 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 what God has sent it and, and designed it to do. And above all the rest, it accomplishes our salvation. And so we can say with the Apostle Peter, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the end result of our faith. In other words, because faith is doing what God intends and purposes it to do. That is receiving, producing within us, leading us to, carrying us to the salvation of our souls. Our faith is fruitful because Christ has been raised. And because Christ has been raised, we are not still in our sins, not in that condition, but we are in fact free from sin's dominion. The resounding message of the empty tomb is a message of freedom. The the song of Easter is a song of, of victory. The chains of sin have been broken. The prison doors flung open. The slave master defeated. The condemnation conquered. This is what Paul said so clearly and and repeatedly again and again in Romans 6 as we were there, you know, several weeks ago for a number of weeks in, in Romans 6. And that was the persistent and repeated message about freedom from sin, freedom from sin's dominion. We've died to sin, Paul says in Romans 6, and have been raised to new life in Christ. We used to be slaves to sin, he says, but we have been set free from that slavery and made to be slaves to righteousness. Because Christ has been raised, we are able to gain real victories over sin in our lives. We're not doomed to just be as sinful as we can possibly be. Now, we are not under sin's dominion anymore. Now, we we won't in this life achieve perfection, which is what we're going to dive into more when we get a little farther ahead in Romans 7. But we are free from sin's ruling and condemning power free from the slave master of sin that has its tyrannical rule over us. And so we can say with Paul in the glorious words of Romans 8, who will bring any, any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, and who then is the one who condemns? No one. There's no one left that can bring a charge against those who are in Christ. Why? Because Christ Jesus who died and, more than that, was raised to life. And is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. We are free from from condemnation and free from sin's dominion because Christ has been raised. And because Christ has been raised, the dead in Christ are not lost, but they attain eternal glory. Uh, You know, the resurrection of Christ is the only thing in all the world that can take the sting out of death for believers. There's nothing else. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that there is collectively no answer to the problem of death aside from the resurrection of Christ. It it is only in the risen Christ that the mocking finality of death is silenced. 
It's only in the risen Christ that we see beyond the haunting despair of the grave. It's only in the risen Christ that we dare to stand before a tombstone and say with Paul, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? How else are we going to say that? That there's nothing else in all the world that would give us that boldness and that assurance to be able to say those taunting words in the face of death. Our bedside tears are redeemed and our graveside goodbyes are swallowed up in victory because Christ has been raised. And so we are able to say in the words of the Apostle Paul, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Our grief is completely different. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe out of that truth of his resurrection, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him, bring them with Jesus to that eternal glory. In his book, Lord Falgren's Letters, which was lent to me by Dominic Deco, and it's a book I'd recommend reading, although I'm about to give away the ending, so maybe you won't want to read it. But it's a book that's inspired by C.S. Lewis's uh, Screwtape Letters. And Randy Alcorn in this book captures in one of the final scenes how the, how the resurrection of Christ completely changes the, the whole landscape of death for believers. So in his book, the main character, Jordan Fletcher, dies suddenly in a car crash. And, and as you read it, you think, this, what a horrible way for the book to end. This is the, the worst book ever. What, what a horrible thing, because Jordan, he's, he's recently come to Christ. He's gone from this, you know, from an unbeliever to a believer, and he's finally getting his life back on track, and he's, he's, he's building a renewed relationship with his wife and with his kids, and everything seems to be coming together. And then just like that, suddenly, a car crash, and he's dead. And you think, what? What kind of book is this? But then Alcorn takes us to the scene in heaven right after his death. And this is what he says. He says, Fletcher stood there with a silly grin, slack-jawed, then eagerly stepped forward like a man coming home after a hard journey. And he smiled broadly, wonder in his eyes, sucking in the air of heaven. And, and, all the, and all the angels of heaven rejoiced, and all the demons of hell raged. And the risen Christ presented Fletcher with a robe and said to him, All heaven is yours to explore, and I will introduce you to many of God's children and to worlds and wonders beyond your wildest dreams. And in a breath of inexpressible joy, Fletcher said, Earth was just a motel room. Every foretaste of joy in the shadowlands is but the faint glimpse of heaven, of this place for which I have longed. And, and, and the crowd cheered, and, and the singing and the laughing started up again, and the demons turned away, trying in vain to silence the sound of worship. The dead in Christ are not lost. They attain eternal glory. Because Christ has been raised. And so Paul's summary conclusion of verse 19 is in fact reversed. We are not of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be envied. For we have found the secret to a fullness of life that begins now and extends beyond the grave. 
We are truth bearers who proclaim a powerful gospel that procures a fruitful faith through which the chains of sin are broken and the enemy of death defeated, leaving us with a hope of everlasting life marked by ever-increasing glory. We are of all people most to be envied because Christ has been raised. And so we can say with Paul in his climactic conclusion to this chapter, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It it, it ends on this note of, of beautiful victory. And we can say with the apostle Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope of Easter streams forth from the empty tomb. He's not here, the angel said. He is risen. And all heaven rejoiced. And the demons raged. And the seed of living hope was planted in the hearts of all who believe. To God be the glory. Let's bow together. O risen and triumphant Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we praise you. We exalt you. We can only begin to scratch the surface of the hope that we have through your resurrection from the dead, this this beautiful and living hope. And I pray, O Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit in us this morning, that you would take us deeper into that hope, that we might live in that that abiding hope and that that deep and lasting joy of knowing that the tomb is empty, that you have risen, that you've conquered death, that you've freed us from sin's dominion. And our faith is not futile, that our preaching is not useless, that we're not still in our sins. The dead in Christ are not lost. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would plant deep within us this living hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.